Hey everybody, I'm Mike Matarazzo, host of Kitchen Brain Podcast. Uh, on this episode of Kitchen Brain, I'm talking to Mark Noguchi. Mark Noguchi is a chef and a co-founder of Peely Group. He and his wife Amanda founded Peely Group in, in Hawaii. They're based in Hawaii. And also uh, founders of Chef Hui, which is an organization of chefs, hotels, and restaurateurs across Hawaii. Uh, that whose purpose is to support local farms and each other. Um, he is also the food and sustainability curriculum specialist at Punahou School. Uh, Mark is a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America. He's a dad. He's a husband, and uh, he's he's a great friend of mine. So we we had a lot of fun on this episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Kitchen Brain Podcast, Season One, Episode Three. Here we go. Kitchen Brain. Kitchen Brain. Kitchen Brain. All right, so here we are with Kitchen Brain Podcast Season One. Uh, I am super excited for this this interview right now. I've been waiting a long time. To, to talk to this gentleman right here. Uh, this is Chef Mark Noguchi, better known as Gooch, and I will address him accordingly through the course of this interview. Uh, there he is right in front of you, Gooch. How you doing, my friend? What's up, Chef? Hi, buddy. <laughs> I've been calling you Chef since Greenbrier. I know, uh, I know. That's okay. You can keep doing it. Yeah, all right, Chef. <laughs> <laughs> You want me to talk to you in my bedroom voice? <laughs> later, later. It's early. Let's yeah. not peak too soon. <laughs> <laughs> right, because we're middle-aged now. And <laughs> peaking too soon leads to disappointment. <laughs> That's right. And we could also hurt ourselves. So, you know, we got to pace ourselves. Oh, <laughs> Cheers, man. Good to see you, my friend. Look at you with your bougie glasses. Would you settle down? Mm. Just settle down with that oh, talk. Oh, man. When we met, we were PBR. You know, wild yeah, it was bottom of the barrel. Yeah, that's all right. You so know, let's. When you're at the bottom, you only got one direction to go, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, only way to go is yeah. up. So let's talk about that. I mean, you know, uh, Gooch is is a, you know, a big part of my early stages in my career, and I, I, and I think we both share the same sentiment here. But uh, regretfully. You know, we, we've both been really busy. I don't think we blame each other for it, but uh, we just reconnected, you know, really recently. So, uh, and I couldn't, I couldn't think of a better person to have as a guest on the show, uh, just based on how much of a, of a force that uh, Gooch has become in Hawaii. And, you know, I, I wanted to talk a lot about that in his path. And, and I, I really wanted to reconnect because he's, uh, he's an incredible, incredible person, incredible chef, as you will find out on this show. Um, but yeah, let, we, we met back in the, in the Greenbrier days, right? That was probably around 2003 on your externship. Is that look, right? I was trying to look at, yup, 2004. Yeah. Yeah. 2004. Okay, cool. Yeah, I started there 2003. So you you came on board 2004. You were doing your externship for the CIA. Is that correct? I was doing the externship. And then I was really fortunate that you know, like Chef Timmons and Rob Flesh, they let me do, you know, that that sort of introductory period, right? 
which would have been like my freshman, I guess my freshman year as, a, as an apprentice. Yeah. The way yeah. that life went, I ended up not becoming an apprentice. And while I was pretty disappointed about it at that time, here we are now. So. Yeah, right, right, which is a pretty incredible journey. Um, but yeah, man, we had some good times. There was, you know, it, it, most of you don't know, uh, and if you don't know, I'll tell you that the fact that that Gooch has all of his clothes on right now is is pretty right. amazing. Yeah, I mean, we you know we can fix that. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're we're yeah, good. It, we're it, good. It, 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 my wife encourages encourages restraint, so it's not <laughs> a bit more. By the way. In what, when we were catching up, I do believe that somebody somewhere has a picture of me streaking around Ken Hess's house. I'm almost positive I've, that I've seen it. I would imagine that many people, I would imagine many people have a picture of you well, streaking around somebody's house. <laughs> well, we'll find it. And if we find it, it's going on the YouTube video only because you brought it up. Let's go. <laughs> I, I have no secrets. <laughs> Um, yeah, man, but it was such a good time. It was, it was, uh, definitely a different time, but I, I feel like, you know, the, the apprentices at the Greenbrier, uh, you know, are so close knit. And when you got there, uh, man, you just, you, even though you weren't an apprentice, you just really kind of slid right in and became a part of, of the group, you know, and, uh, Thanks, man. I never knew how you guys, you know, to be honest, I don't, I don't think I really knew how you guys felt about me. I knew we all got along, but you know, you, you guys are my, like my heroes, you know? And, and so thanks, man. I yeah. That. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, 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 I think you're our heroes now. You, you really, uh, you kind of took it all and ran and, and, and it's pretty cool stuff. Um, so, you know, you did your externship there. Um, and and we'll get into kind of your your journey, you know. I I don't I don't want to start off on on kind of a a, a downer note here, but I, I do have to uh, definitely offer my condolences to to you and to Hawaii and the culinary and pastry industry uh, for the recent loss of Ed. Uh, Ed Marita. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Let's raise one for Ed. Yeah, one Is for one for Ed. You Ed Marita. It's for yeah, you, man. Homie. So yeah, so a tribute song. I wanted to show you real quick. I found my Greenbrier, my uh, nice binder, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is there's that. That's Mr. Michael Moderato. Yeah. Right so, yeah. I got to, I, very fortunate. Got to work under him too. That's awesome, man. That's cool. I, I have mine somewhere. I'm not sure where it is, but it's it's definitely around. Um, so you know the the restaurant scene right now globally, uh, no secret to anybody, has been kind of devastated, uh, and that's probably an understatement with the COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, you know, Hawaii is is always you know viewed as such a happy, you know, let's, let's just keep going kind of place. And I'm sure that's what's happening, but what, what's the scene like there in Hawaii with COVID since the onset and what has it done to kind of the restaurant scene? Well, I think across the world, I think, I think anyone in our industry can, can reflect and, or, you know, mirror and understand the, the pain where I think all of our, all of our governments at one time or another, kind of got everybody ready, like, okay, you can reopen, you know, and, 
and then restaurants reopened, and then a couple weeks later, oh no, you gotta shut it back down. And you know, Mike, in in all, whenever I get asked to talk now, um, I no longer have restaurants of my own, and, and I know we'll we'll talk about it later, we'll talk about this later. But my disclaimer is, even though for my wife and I and even our kids, the work that we do is still very much within our industry. We're not restaurant owners anymore. Right. I automatically have a certain amount of like displacement. In other words, I would never, I would never look at my friends who own a restaurant and be like, oh, I know, I know what you're going through. I know how you feel. Cause you know what? Fuck, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have that payroll anymore that I used to. I don't have as much perishable goods, you know. And in the work that we do, we're getting our friends perishable goods to to distribute out. But I think that the, I think our pandemic was timed up as a blessing and a curse perfectly, perfectly with like the Me Too movement with people starting to really start, or even before that, you know, like Danny Meyer and all the pioneers of the no tipping, you know, the, like, like creating a more, uh, uh, an even or a balanced work environment and a balanced playing field for all of us talking about wage and about how governments all of a sudden wanted to raise minimum wage 600% and on the restaurant industry, like, hey, wait, we would love, and that's the thing that I think as an industry, we would love to be able to give our teammates and employees, colleagues and peers a livable wage, yet the circumstances and what it takes, is it's not just, it's not a, you know what I mean? It, it takes buy-in from so many different degrees right. to get there that between all of that and COVID, it just sort of shed this very light on how dysfunctional our industry is. So as sad as, you know, as sad as what COVID has done and as sad as we are losing friends and colleagues, I try to look at it that, that COVID has shown this, this huge spotlight on the fact that there's some really fucked up things about our industry that we need to fix. Yeah, I agree, man. I, um, you know, there, obviously, there's a lot of a lot of negatives to to what's going on right now. But I I was thinking about it too recently, and you know, when you look at all the the really big name uh, restaurants out there, and and the Michelin restaurants, and um, you know, you look at your your Thomas Kellers and and Danielle Baloods and uh, Alain Ducasse, and uh, I mean, across the board everywhere no matter what level the restaurant is at you know could be a food truck could be uh, a michelin star restaurant one thing that covid did in in my opinion is it made everybody the same you know i i, I feel like it it kind of leveled the playing field and like you said to your point it it exposed things you know a lot of which needed to be exposed um, you know, unfortunate circumstances for sure, but, but still it ha I mean, everybody became a takeout restaurant, you know, I mean, everybody's takeout. Uh, it doesn't matter what, what, how many stars you have, you're doing takeout or, or you're not making it. And, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a very interesting thing. And, and I think it's an opportunity, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to, to pull together during this, no matter what level of the industry we're at, you know, I feel like this is an opportunity for us to say, Hey, we all do the same thing. 
You know, I mean, from, from the most basic fundamental level, our job is to provide nourishment for people, you know, and provide an experience for people, uh, no matter where we're working. So having that commonality and having all the same challenges, you know, we, we have all the same challenges through, through the industry. Um, you know, mm -hmm. this really kind of took this, I think, to, to expose that. Um, so I really agree with what you're saying there. Um, and, and what else are you going to do but focus on the positive, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I echo your sentiment and the fact that I think, was it like Mr. Hilton? It was the Hilton group that, or Mr. Hilton that said that, you know, that brought up the whole like internal and external guests, right? It's like, we're so hell-bent focused on like the external guests, the customers coming and we forget the internal side, whether it is our employees, our colleagues, or just our Lahui, right? Our, our Lahui is Hawaiian for communities, so like our community at large, um, you know, we forget about that, the internal people, the people that we see every day. Right, and, yeah. Uh, I appreciate that, like you, and I, well, I've also heard from a few of our other peers on trying to find the light, you know, through the darkness. Right. And um, yeah, I think it brought, it, it brought, in a lot of good ways, even though it's painful, it brought a lot of awareness to the to the public on on what our industry is going through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and you know, ultimately, I think this we're going to come out better on the other side. Um, yes. You know, for it that that that's for sure. I mean, I I think we we can pull through it and and definitely be better on the other side. Um, you know, going, going through, you know, you mentioned you, you, you're not a restaurant owner anymore. Um, and, and we'll get to that, but, you know, part of my mission with, uh, Kitchen Brain and, and Be Better Culinary Perspectives is, you know, I, I want to bring a little bit of light to it. And, and I, I have to be careful about how I do this because I, I don't want to come off as somebody who, you know, is, is anti-establishment or anti-authority or, or anything like that. I truly love this industry. I am not trying to scare people away from the industry or deter anybody from, from entering it. Um, I just happen to know firsthand, and I know that you do as well, that there are many happy places within this industry that you can be. Uh, and, and I don't think that the word has gotten out about that. And that's kind of a big part of what this podcast is about. Um, and, and what I'm trying to help people understand earlier today, I, I made a post on Instagram and I knew it was going to get, uh, some attention and it did. And, and that was kind of my intent, but, uh, you know, I posted this picture and, and I, I'll, it should be showing if we're on the, the YouTube feed here, but, uh, it's basically a picture that's been circulating around the internet for a while of, of a young yeah. lady crouched down behind a, a hotline. Oh. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. No, no, uh, keep on keep and she is uh, eating, you know, a meal behind the line, crouched down, sitting on a, I don't know what she's sitting on, a milk crate or a Bain Marie, doesn't matter. Um, and, and, you know, I tell people that, yeah, there it is. So, and I, and I, I made those little markings on it where, you know, chef life and, and chef injustice with a check. And, you know, the reason those two are significant is because when I first saw the, this post and a lot of other posts like it, it's not the only one, but when I, when I see them, it's not, it's not alarming to me. The picture itself 
is not what concerns me because I'm not blind to, to what we do and where we came from. I'm not blind to the fact that this stuff has happened historically and still happens in our industry. That's not what concerns me. Uh, what concerns me are the ensuing comments that are underneath that picture uh, on all these social media outlets. And you see things like hashtag chef life. You see things like, uh, you know, I've seen comments on pictures like that that say some of the best meals I've ever eaten were over a trash can. I saw one comment that said, uh, it took me a long time to eat at a table like a normal person before I left the industry. Uh, all these things, and these are all chefs, right? So the way I look at it is I I'm under no delusions that this stuff happens. Uh, but the, the concern that I have is everybody's complaining that we are short staffed. Everybody's complaining it's so hard to find staff and everybody wants to use the financial excuse. Now, I will say that, that the, the compensation is definitely a part of it. And that's another issue that collectively we need to figure out. My concern here is those comments are now marketing for our industry. Those comments are now the brochure for young people to enter the industry. So if I'm a young kid and I cook with my grandmother growing up and I'm on the fence, you know, I think I want to go to culinary school. I think I want to do this for a living and I'm going to follow some chefs and I'm going to watch shows like Top Chef and Hell's Kitchen and, and I'm going to follow these chefs. And then I see a post like that and I start scrolling through the comments and maybe I say, fuck, maybe I don't want to do this. I'll just cook for my family. You know, I don't want that to be my life. And, and now we're turning people away from the industry. And, and my question is, did you ever wonder why those pictures are not on the cover of the brochure for culinary school? Like maybe it's mm -hmm. just not an attractive thing. And, and maybe we're the reason why our narrative is on, on social media, especially our narrative is ridiculous and why would anybody want to apply at your restaurant if you're talking the way you are on social media? So I don't know, man, I made that post today. Obviously I'm still fired up about it. I'm getting a lot of DMS from people who are like, you know, yeah. fuck yeah, chef life. And you don't know what you're talking about. And I love that. That's what I want. Yeah. But what do you think, man? What's your, what's your stance on all this? If you can let me play like devil's advocate on that is so the one comment that I am looking at, that, that's, that stuck out is someone responding back to you, like I'm planning on protesting during, you know, during your lunch break. And on one end, you, myself, many of our colleagues, you know, we are now older where, you know, if we are or have been executive chefs with restaurants or hotels, most of us, a lot, you know, a lot of us talk to them speaking of on, like our playing field, we're all we're all parents now. We're dads or mothers or whatever. We have families. But don't forget, when you're young, you're really fired up. And I think that, and I think that, as a young cook, you're proud. You're proud to go through that abuse and like stick it out. Um, and in in full disclosure, everybody, like, you know, I'm not a young cook in today's day and age. So perhaps the motivations are different. But what I've seen and, and, and what I also see with, with a lot of like, like protests or, or when, you know, whether it's us on the mountain or whatever, when you're young, you have all this fire and energy and you just want to direct it somewhere. And so I could see how like seeing a post like that and the responses would get you fired up to respond. However, 
we are trying to create a different narrative today. You know, it's like we're trying to show we're trying to show more of what our industry is about. And so when I saw that picture, and, and you're right, Mike, I, I saw that picture. I think that, that picture kind of circ started circulating around like a, a couple of years ago. And there's a, there's a definitely a part of me that was like, yup, that's right. That's how Coxie, that's what we do because we get the fucking job done. And everybody that comes to it has no idea what we go through. Fast forward to 2020. I look at that picture now and I still were like, fuck yeah, that's what cooks do. That's how we eat because we need to get the job done. But is that really how we should be eating? Is that really what our life is about? And when I reflect on that, hindsight being 2020, the most, some of the, the most impactful restaurants that I have ever worked in or the most impactful hotels I've ever worked in always had really awesome uh, chef meals where you sat down together and you took, I mean, right? Like, yeah, remember, like uh, Boo made the baddest ass curries ever. And, and, yeah. and despite everything, despite, you know, I think the biggest blessing about all of us being at, at Greenbrier together was like, we we're still there at like the heyday. It was the end of the heyday, but it was still the heyday of the Greenbrier. Yeah. Where you did, you did like 1500 for dinner. You know, I'm the picture I sent you, like, fr you know, <laughs> Frank was getting killed that night. Yeah, he was. But we all still had time to make family meal twice a day, right? Twice a day, right? Right. And, you know, and, and, and the porters would, would lay out the table and we would all sit down and didn't matter, you know, like back house, you know, you know Stoner, Stoner would come down and hang out. Mm -hmm. So, Pardon my soapbox, but it's really important for us to remember what it was all about. So when you ask me what a picture like that does, that a picture—that's my daughter. <laughs> a picture like <laughs> insert mood break. But yes, Frankie, I am. Wait, how do you turn it off? Hold on, I need to put Barbie's dress on. This is Chef Life. This is this is my this, chef life. This is what smile? chef life is. Hello. This is my daughter world. This is uh, this is Aki, but she is my tomboy, no fucks given. Um, so I call her Frankie, nice. in honor of my wife's grandfather. Okay. Hold on. You know, sorry. While we're on this track, I just want to say to um toy companies everywhere when you make fabric out of the cheapest thing ever polyester that doesn't stretch i don't know how i'm supposed to get the last arm in <laughs> i can make terrines i can plan a to feed a thousand people but i can't fit an arm in the last sleeve <laughs> You know what you need to do? Uh, my wife ha puts packing tape over the speaker, so it really dulls out the music. I'm going to remember that. I'm just saying. Then it doesn't have to become an outside toy. <laughs> yeah, I, this is like, sorry, Mike. I really am, so I apologize. But you know, you know how, like, um, you know, the whole, like, Chef Rich told like, push yourself, uh -huh. make it happen, whatever it takes. 
Um, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, that's right. Nice. Barbie's fully, fully closed. I can't do anything about her hair, but Frankie, here I go. Go away, Daddy got to work. Thank you. Love you. You got Barbie all squared away there. Come on. Okay. I'll see you guys on Saturday. All right. And that still means we get another one. All right. That was a word from our sponsor. Mattel? Yeah, right. Where were we? So you just started to talk about uh, Rich Rosendale and his push yourself message. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, and then I can fix the Barbie. That was, that was the whole thing. So, you know, I, I, since you brought that up, you know, um, that's one thing too, you know, the whole push yourself thing is, is, you know, that's, that's a legendary phrase for us, especially from the Greenbrier. But um, the, the problem that I have, and it's the same thing with the pictures and the comments, it's okay to have these experiences in common. It's okay to talk about it with each other you know we have a lot of fun reminiscing about stuff like that you know i think it's the the issue that i start to have is the context you know like push yourself is a very big part of all of our lives and 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 i still use it today but it's the context you know it's you know pushing yourself you need to know how to use that phrase for positive things in your life and your career if push yourself turns into, okay, push yourself until eventually you're numb of, of everything that you're putting yourself through, that's a problem. That, that's like an adverse effect of push yourself, you know? You need to know, you, you need to be self-aware, you know, mm -hmm. and, and push yourself accordingly. Uh, and that's where I think uh, people need some help is the context. I think in that case, and that, that is when it falls on us as leaders to be able to set that context, right? As a young cook, you have no idea what context is about unless your mentor, your chef, or whatever it is, sets it for you. Um, I, I totally, I agree with you 110%. Um, I still use push yourself. You know, I've, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've told my girls that as well. I know I've told my wife that and she didn't like it and how I, but <laughs> sorry, regardless, but yeah, I, I, I do agree with you. I think that for us, it's, it's um, because you still have to develop mental toughness, but you can develop, men, you, can, you can mentor toughness with empathy, you sure. know, and um, I would never anymore, you know, like scream at my cooks that, that I got screamed at or even at my first restaurant the way that I, you know, I, I screamed at people. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare do that today, to be honest. You know, and and why I think not? That statement, why not? Because yeah, can I, like, like it's not nice. And I think in in today's day and age, chef, is we're we're missing out on being nice to people. Yeah. And you you talked about that context of put context of push yourself. Anyone that's like a. a a, an experienced cook has been yelled at, screamed at, probably something thrown at them. Maybe you got poked with the, your pair of tweezers or a paring knife. But, um, you know, I know someone that has a great picture uh, and she's a badass that she's like waving a paring knife at someone, you know, and she's a badass and she's still the kindest heart ever. Um, but 
I mean, let's be real. In in today's day and age, like that action with a knife would might get might get someone fired. It's it is what it is. And when you talk about context and about elevating our industry, any anybody like old school guys or even young cooks that still believe in the old guard might be like, oh yeah, you know, f that and and it's supposed to be all about you know balls to the wall and and who's the toughest. No, we're trying to. We're trying, we are in a dynamic time of change. So we need to more than ever look right. at how we can move it and inspire our guys differently. Yeah. Um, you know, sorry, I didn't mean to go. No, off no, you're good, man. You're good. I, I, you know, it's, I don't know when, when did it become, and, and it's probably, it's before our time, I think, but like, it's, when did it become like, you know, how tough, how tough a chef is, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it's an art, right? It's culinary arts, right? So I don't know when toughness became the barometer for being a good chef or being a good leader. And it, it blows my mind. You know, I, I, you remember when I haven't seen him in a while and I don't know if it's because I never clicked on him and I'm, I'm not in with the algorithm on Facebook anymore, but I used to get like the, the hoodies that would come up in Facebook, the advertisements for those chef hoodies. And it would say like, oh. you know, I'm a badass chef because I don't fucking sleep. And you know, the, all this the, stuff. Um, the, the picture of like the, the, the spindle with like, you know, paper up yeah. here. Yeah. Stack paper. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, and I used to laugh at those advertisements and, and when I thought about it, I was like, all right, so hold on a second. Just remember, before you clocked out and you put on your Grim Reaper hoodie that said to everybody why you're such a badass chef, right before that, you put a micro flower on a plate of food with a pair of tweezers. You know? Hey, like, you're in the weeds. You're in the weeds. Right. Maybe it's time to dial it back a little bit, you know? Like, I don't know. I think that, I think. Um, you know, you know, you know what it means to be systemic, right? Whether we're talking about like systemic um, prejudice or, or a systemic, you know, I don't know, herbicide or whatever have you. So I think it's systemic. I think that that sense of pride is something that was cultivated through like years and generations of, of, a, of a way of life. Sure. And I kind of look at it, if you can let me, you know, like, like just diverge for a second. Oh, man. Um, the way that we order. Um, the, majority of, the majority of our industry still orders by picking up a phone, or a lot of our industry still orders by picking up a phone, calling into their producers what they need for the next day. You know, why haven't we moved to like an app ordering system or whatever? And I, I know that there are people that are trying to do it. There are restaurants that are doing it now. I'm, I am speaking more of like, just say like the recent decade. Why was it so hard for our industry to move forward, adapt technology and, and kind of, and kind of grow when almost every other industry in our, in our, in the world kind of evolved with technology. And, and, and I think that there's a certain amount that we are, we're, we're proud of our old school roots, you know, and then sure. that's why we celebrate. 
not to mention the fact that it, it has been for a long time, you know, a male dominated society. Right. And thank God we're moving slowly. We need to move quicker, but we're still moving in the direction that we need to with, with amazing women that are in the kitchen now. But I think all of those attitudes and stuff come from a fact of like, you know, I'm tough, I'm tougher than you. Right. You know, and it's the same way that in the same line, brother, young cooks that read Kitchen Confidential who weren't even born yet when the book was written, are like, oh yeah, you know, Anthony Bourdain, like, like he's my soul. He's my soul partner. Like I identify and I know what he's talking about. I'm like, you don't know what he's talking about. Right. That was written 20 years ago. So same thing. It's like this, I think it, it plays into like young emotion. Yeah. You're, especially when you're younger, you're emotional. So you can identify with that. When you're older now, we're at this point where it's like, okay, well, let's, Let's think about, you know, let's think about what it's about, really, what matters. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so for you, on that note, um, you know, you, you did your externship at the Greenbrier. Where, where, were you anywhere before the CIA? Was CIA kind of your introduction to food, or did you have some stuff going on before that? I got a question for you. Yeah, go ahead. Do you think that the Greenbrier was my first job, or did you think I was actually somewhat capable? I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> all, all I remember is that we couldn't get you to put your fucking shirt on. Uh, outside of that. You... But out of every, all of my bad habits in the kitchen, if that was the worst habit that I had, that's not bad, right? I don't remember a whole lot of negatives with your cooking abilities. Thanks, Chef. I appreciate it. Um, Green Bar was, <laughs> Green Bar was not my first kitchen. Um, nor would I lie to anybody in the whole, like, oh, yeah, I was cooking since I was 14. No, I wasn't. I didn't. I found cooking late. Um, Green Bar was my second, I think, like, second, you know, like, second serious kitchen that I worked in. Yeah. You know, I, I had only been cooking probably two years prior to that. Okay. Years prior to that. All right. Yeah. And you, you started out in the hotel scene? I did. I did. My, um, the first, and, and I think I'd like to share some stories so I won't mention where it was, but Go for it. my first hotel in Hawaii, um, I was really fortunate to, and I'm going to say it, I was really fortunate to be there when they went bankrupt because I saw some of the most heinous shit in my life that not only I think stuck in me, like, I don't want to be, I don't want to ever do that, but it also gave me an appreciation because as I got older, I got to work in some great kitchens. I, I, I got to acknowledge and, uh, and understand how lucky I was to be in those kitchens. Right. Yeah. Wow. And Greenberg cool. was one of those being, you know, knowing how lucky I was to be there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you're different now. I mean, you, you, you guys have owned some restaurants. Um, what, what made you change? I mean, why? I know you said that we have to be nice to each other, but there you had to have some experiences. I mean, I know for me, if people who, who worked for me when I was in my first sous chef position, uh, if they saw me now, you know, they would be like, what, what happened to you? You know, chef, I'm going to disagree with you on a statement. I bet that people that worked for you before look at you now and be like, yep, I get it now because 
you're you're even the fact that you and I have just reconnected over the past 20 years you're consistent you are still you're still compassionate you had that aloha spirit even as a as a young you know as a young senior apprentice at Greenbrier you know you're full of fire but you still gave a shit about the people around you so I think that as we get older we are better able to reflect but ultimately our personality our you know our your personality you are who you are and you know Mike like you're the same you're the same amazing guy you are today than than I knew you when I was you know on my externship oh man it's almost like it's almost like I scripted you on that that's awesome (laughs) it's still a blank page sorry no um so, all right. So you did the restaurant game for a while. I mean, you, you were, you had what, two, three restaurants? Yeah, we had, uh, so on my own, before I met my wife, I had Heya Pier, General Store in Delhi. It was this little like shithole lean to at the end of a pier. And, um, you know, I, I had, I, with a lot of thanks to like, you know, Ricky Goings, who was, who was my open, he was my sous chef at the time and all of our friends game. That was great. That was good fun. And I think that for, I don't, well, no, I, I kind of say I think that. For myself, before kids, when it was just all about food, like that was someone almost like off, you know, left field food, you know, like, like you know, two fingers up to the world cooking that we've done. So that was one. Wife and I met and then we formed what is our family, you know, our family restaurant group now, or not restaurant, our family food group now. So since then we had one, two, three, we had three restaurants and a catering a catering element as Peely Group. As Peely Group. Yeah. And then Chef Hui is the, like the family, that's the family empire, is that right? No, no, no. So what happened was, you know, we're cranking away at our restaurants and this is like 2015. And um, I am, I am the son of a first generation immigrant in other words my father was the first noguchi to come to hawaii to set roots uh, my mother she she was like a second so in other words if you look at it in the, the scheme of things i'm like two and a half so for here in hawaii to be that you know that close to immigrant you know to your like immigrant roots is, is pretty important because a lot of asians are like third fourth generation fifth generation by this time and I'm really proud of, of, of being that close to the, the sort of migration route of, of you know, my parents. But, yeah, that's cool. Um, it's, uh, you know, it was, it was something else. And Mike, I'm glad you're editing this. Can, can you lead me back into what the question was? You wanted me to have a drink and be loose on this. And now I am. And I'm starting to lose my train of thought. I so. did. And I'm probably not going to edit it either. But uh <laughs> Give it to me again. Uh, it's got to be real, man. Uh, no, I just, you know, I wanted to get a little bit of the uh, the restaurant experience that oh, you had. So, yeah. So, about 2015, we're cranking, busy as hell. And my mother had been asking, I think we moved it into 2016. And mom started to um, ask if I could swing by. And... We were super busy, but also I just wanted to, you know, at that time, like my marriage was, was like, we were rocky, you know? And I think in 2016, I know a lot of our friends, uh, you know, they didn't know if Amanda and I would, would make it through the year. 
So um, mom's calling me. She's like, you know, we, you know, I need to talk to you. And then through that year, what happened was there came to a point where uh, I said enough is enough. And I was pretty, pretty, you know, miserable. And so uh, I agreed with Amanda to go start seeing a therapist. And then what was interesting was the change wasn't in my marriage first. It was actually my staff. My staff started to notice a change where it wouldn't fly off the handle so much. But all of that sort of prepared me for what was to happen in 2017 when, or when finally, you know, I told my mom, like, mom, sorry, I'm real busy. Um, can I come see you next week? And she was like, actually, can I see you as soon as possible? I got to tell you something. So, of course, you know, something's up. And I remember the day I went to go visit her, open the door, walk in, and then she's got these chairs right inside the doorway. And she's like, hey, come sit down. And like, I knew exactly what she was going to tell me. And she told me she was sick. She told me she had been getting tested and that the doctors had diagnosed her with pancreatic cancer, wow. stage four. And they gave her like, I think it was like six weeks. It was like, it was something really short. It was something that was so short that I became furious. And I became furious at my employees. I became furious at my wife and my kids. I became furious at everybody that I thought was holding me back from being able to spend what what last few weeks I had my, with my mother. But in credit to therapy, and I, I kind of turned that anger and then I was kind of able to lean into it. And then it was Amanda, it was my wife that was just like, well, what if we close all of our restaurants? So we sat down with our managerial team and we, in, a, in a, about probably a week's time, we decided we're gonna close all of our restaurants, did the numbers, said we're just, just gonna do catering. And that decision, was the first of, of incredible like leaps of faith to bring us to where we are today, where um, I thought we'd be broke and I thought I was gonna be struggling as shit to find work. And our catering department was busier than ever and we just cranked. And then also at the same time, we were busy enough where even after closing over our restaurants, I didn't have that much more time. And then uh, this school, this uh, private school club uh, named Punahou, they started kind of knocking. Like I had done stuff for them before and they asked if I joined their team. And that really was sort of the, the you know, the, the, the last straw or, or what, of what set us onto our, the path that we are now was, um, you know, they kind of made an offer I couldn't refuse and I took that job and I was able to, to spend the last, you know, eight months of my mom's life, you know, a lot closer to her, which, which, which shifted a lot. Wow. That's incredible, man. Um, so, I mean, it, it seems, I know that you're, and we're going to get to Amanda cause I know that she is a powerhouse, uh, and a, and a huge force in, in your life and, and the business that you guys do. But, um, you know, if, if we, if we back up a little bit to, to that moment where, you know, you get this, this devastating news from your mom and, you know, you obviously you, you got some help with therapy and stuff, but, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people have trouble taking that step. I think a lot of people have trouble, you know, seeing that as an option to, to, to help through a situation 
um, you know, you you had some 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 stresses. I I just want to try to find the correlation here between, you know, the industry itself. Um, do you blame the industry for the way that you were, or the way that you reacted to that news? No way. I think that I try real hard, Mike, not to, not to regret things. You know, prior to becoming a cook, the only thing that I ever cared about was myself and what I wanted. So between, and we can go in that direction or not, but between um, hula, because I, I did that for a, a while too, but between hula and then cooking, those are the first two things I ever dedicated myself to with, with that 110%. And I think that that dedicate, I think my, I think my mother was proud that I dedicated myself, that my mother was proud that I found a way to realize that only living for yourself was actually selfish. Um, I say it now and I say it with pride that my mother died to save our life our meaning my family you know it, it helped set the tone and it helped set the precedence for what we do now um i think that that was just a progression in life and we all progress differently you know you shared with me your journey and like i know how focused you are you know what i mean you and i haven't hung out since 2003 yeah but I know how dedicated you were, you know, to what you want to do. And I don't, I don't fault my industry at all. Our industry gave myself, my wife, you know, Amanda was in the industry at Dukes before we even met. She's, she's blooded. She, she made her bones. She knows what's up. Our industry is what gave us the capacity to do what we do today. All those neg, you know, whatever negative things that our industry might, might, might give us, also gave us, gave us the capacity to do, you know, what we do today. Yeah, I agree, man. I think, um, and, and I'm, I knew you were going to, I assumed you were going to say that you did not blame the industry. And, and I think that's important too. Like I said earlier, like I'm not, I love this industry. You know, I, I don't know what I would have done. I mean, I got, I got kicked out of college twice. I, I was, I jumped from, from, you know, three colleges and four different majors and all I can do is cook, you know, um, so I love this industry and this is what, what my passion is in. And, and I'm not trying to make anybody blame the industry for any of their problems. I'm actually trying to do the opposite. You know, I'm trying to, to tell people like, Hey, the industry is not an excuse for your issues. You need to, to feel better about yourself. You need to be more self-aware and you need to make a decision you know, you need to make a choice because if, if you're going to just keep pigeonholing yourself into this, this, you know, fictional situation that the industry is making you drink or the industry is making you do lines of Coke after work, the industry yep. is making you be shitty to your, your spouse or your significant other or your kids, you know, you're not looking at it right. And somebody along the way or many people along the way have fucked up the narrative about the industry and you, you bit, you bit right on it. So now you just use this as an excuse for every problem in your life instead of realizing there are good places to go work. There are great kitchens. There are great chefs. 
Uh, you know, and like I always try to tell young people, just try to follow great chefs until one day people are trying to follow you. That's what you should do. And the, and the great chefs out there, the great managers and leaders are going to treat you like a human and they're going to push you. You know, it's not always going to be roses. They're going to push you, but they're, they're, they're going to pick you up when you fall. They're not going to look at you while you're down on the ground and tell you why you're there and walk away. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that's what I think, you know, people need to know. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that, um, oof, I forgot who it was, someone that worked, someone, I heard someone mention once, I'll, you know, you always look for kitchens where everybody's better than you. And then when you're in there as a yeah. cook, that pushes. And then when you become a chef, you want to look for people that are better than you. And you also want to like, give you know you also want to provide the opportunities for your cooks that ultimately you hope that they're a better cook than you right you just make you just make our industry a better place yeah yeah so i think it was rosendale says that a lot you know to try oh, to did sur he say, okay, yeah, yeah, surround yeah. yourself with people that are better than you uh and oh. you'll always you'll always end up better than you are you know so um so real quick chef i i want to I want you to talk about yourself a little bit because I, I think we, we can't have uh, you on the screen here with an audience without really kind of telling people, and I know you're, you're a humble guy and you don't like to, uh, to, to, to be all, you know, in the spotlight, but I'm going to put you in the spotlight. Um, so you have this amazing family business now with Peely group, uh, chef Huey, uh, Amanda, your wife is like, just, I see her doing backflips on the beach. Uh, you know, I see oh, all, I oh, see, two kid. I see all sorts of posts uh, where, where this, you know, I, I, I might have to do a separate podcast interview with her. Uh, yes, please. She seems to be the brains behind the operation here. Um, but yeah, I mean, you guys have, you got Peely Group, uh, Chef Hui, you have the, well, we'll talk about the Naked Apron series if there's time. Um, which isn't really a part of your business, but I love it. Uh, I love it too. <laughs> and then the, um, you know, you're the, what, food and sustainability curriculum specialist. Is that the official yep. title for you at uh, Punahou? Punahou? How do you say it? Punahou. God, you just, you. What? What? Punahou. Punahou. Okay, I got Thank it you. now. I got it now. Good <laughs> Lord. You, you still, you're still pretty, you're still pretty mean guy. <laughs> uh so yeah so you're, you're doing that so you're 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 helping young people which i think is great but I, I think from what i see from all your youtube videos and i'm gonna put the the youtube links uh in the description on youtube uh when you're watching this video so you can check them out but uh you are like a huge advocate for uh preserving the native cuisine of of hawaii and and really teaching people the the culture so it's not forgotten um, can you talk about that, that whole mission? I'm not, I don't think I'm preserving anything. You know, I think that, I think that Hawaii as a whole are, is, is preserving our story. So for, for those that don't understand what I'm talking about, the Hawaiian language was an, and, and Hawaiians were an orational culture. In other words, that they didn't used to write stuff down. There wasn't, you know, they didn't do that. Somebody talked and you listened and you had to remember and internalize all of that. 
which is also which is funny because um, if you live in Hawaii and you're confused by all the little cultural idiosyncrasies of who we are, so much of that is embedded in like our like you know um, plantation days, you know immigrant and then pre-Western contact. All the little idiosyncrasies, bad and good, of who we are is because of where we came from and our ancestors. And I think that, I think that what always drove me as a cook, and you know, Mike, what I loved was um, the way that food brought, brought us together. And we have a lot of peers and colleagues that, that love the, the, the technique and the, you know, the intricacies and what have you. And of course, I love the ingredients and the product, but what really, what really gets my juices going is how food brings us together. So that was definitely a, a motivator in myself. I'm really lucky that when my wife got together, she was very much vested in food policy. That's how we met. And um, when we started dating, we realized that we had the same values. We wanted the same things for employees. We wanted the same things for um, our family. And we also wanted the same things for our community. And um, what I learned from my relationship with my wife was that it doesn't matter where you come from, like the, the your belief is is kind of the, the core is, is, is where it's, it's, it's at. So that's how we formed Peely Group. So Peely means to be interconnected or intertwined. Right. And a physical manifestation of Peely is Peely grass, which is a native grass. It's a sedge, I believe. But when you look at the seed stock, the seeds are all intertwined and they're kind of woven into each other. Right. Which is exactly what PD is. Okay. So we wanted to make sure that that in whatever work we did with our clients, that it was about community, um, community education and food. In other words, our first responsibility, our first kuleana is to our community, to serve our community. Um, and we serve our community through education and not by soapboxing it, but by leading by example. And obviously like our vessel or our canoe or, you know, in Hawaiian, va'a, or va'a is a canoe. A canoe, you know, is food. And through that, we, we accomplish all the other stuff. And that was, Petey Group was like a restaurant, et cetera, et cetera. My wife already had her company under my umbrella, which was like PR events, logistics. So everything kind of, once again, Peely, it just kind of wove together. Yeah. When COVID happened, the first thing that we wanted to understand was like, how can we feed our public school kids? Because here in Hawaii, pre-COVID, it was almost one in five of every child, re, you know, relied on their public school meal as their main source of nutrition for the day, their, their, their main meal. So we wanted to know how we could we could still feed our public school kids right. even in isolation. Through that, we formed Chef Hui. Hui means a group or togetherness. So once again, very much related to like Pili. And uh, fortunately, all of our friends and, and peers started to donate food. We partnered with a couple other institutions, including um, Fukunaga Produce. Obviously, when, when all the restaurants close, all of a sudden they have no business. Nobody wants to order. So Amanda, uh, with enough phone, with a, a, a huge amount of phone calls and, and conversations, lined up funding to pay Fukunaga to let us take all the food that people were getting rid of, 
drop it off over there and then and then set it up and redistribute it out to companies that need and you know mike to be honest um amanda is the visionary my wife is really good at thinking of a million ideas and then distilling them down me being i think older and cranky when she throws a million ideas at me i just get i kind of get overwhelmed with with how much is coming in out of her mind but i'm able to i think what i bring to our marriage and our, and our partnership is like when she asked me to activate i know how to activate so that's how it went and and here we are now where we have this we have a kitchen where um uh we have i have a, a mentor of mine who got laid off who's now you know who's running our kitchen chef paul matsumoto and he's still volunteering and we're trying to figure out a way how to how to find finding to pay him but he leads his team he's also a dynamic chef you know and, and he has his team of volunteers and they make meals we also have uh, i think like like something like 42 42 other restaurants in the state of hawaii who uh, have all agreed to to jump aboard and so we we nice. allocate all these ingredients these guys cook they get paid for that and then we send it out to communities that need and that chef way that's good to know that's awesome how many meals have you guys provided since covid started hey, i don't know the exact number thousands thousands to give you an idea um to give you an idea chef who feeds over 1700 families uh every friday wow and we at least three times a week we send food out. Wow, that's awesome, man. That's super cool. Um, all right, Chef. Uh, I, have, I have one more kind of broad question for you, and we'll kind of... Uh, Hold on, uh, let me close that door. Can you hear all this? I'm gonna... Yeah, yeah, go for it. My, bro my brother-in-law brother and his girlfriend just came over, so everybody in the whole house is excited. Yeah, so now that he stood up and went to the door, for anybody who's uh, watching on YouTube, now you can confirm the fact that he is, in fact, wearing pants. Just, I am wearing pants. Just throw it. I, I know people were wondering, so uh, I just wanted to point that out. Uh, so, Gooch, tell me, what advice would you give after experiencing what you have uh, in, in your life and, and career what advice would you give to both the older generation of chefs that are maybe still hanging on to, you know, some of the, the old way of doing things and what advice would you give or do you give to, to the younger generation going into the industry? Don't fucking quit. Don't quit. You know, our, I, I mean, my, my dad, my dad always said how like, you know who you are. I mean, my father is a first-generation chauvinistic guy, but this, this applies to whether you're a, a man or a woman. But the way my dad told me was, um, the only two things that we have that's a guarantee is that we're going to die and our word. And, I, and that kind of stuck, you know. But, but what I get out of my time and my experiences is that, you know, you, you see it through good or bad, but I also think that in my personal life, and I can't speak for everyone, but I've grown the most when it was really hard. So don't fucking quit. Awesome. And be nice. Be, be nice. Nice. Absolutely. Be nice.
And and you can be nice even when you're like giving somebody the business. You know what I mean? And that's also, you know, Chad, like being nice doesn't mean you're kissing everybody's ass. That's you right. Know, like for myself at, at school, you know, I'm still nice. But if I got to tell a student, like if I got to give somebody the business, I'm going to give you the business, but I'll be nice about it. Yeah, absolutely. You got to be respectful. Yes, Frankie. Uh, Obviously, the door did nothing. <laughs> yes. It's okay if Uncle Bobo and Auntie Alex come. I mean, they don't have time for shave ice, but can 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 we still get shave ice? Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Daddy, <laughs> yes. Do we have time? Yes. You're getting shaved ice. It sounds like. Yes. Nice. They wanted so Frankie wanted that from like eight thirty. <laughs> well, you better get on it, Dad. Uh, I'm, I'm going to let you go. Th thanks for your time there, Gooch. Uh, I love you, brother. It's. I love uh, you too. I'm glad we reconnected, and we got to do this more often, for sure. And I'm going to get out to Hawaii. I'm going to bring the family, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna share some aloha with you, out there. Uh, Stay well, man. Stay safe. Thank and you. It's a pleasure to be here. Keep doing really what well. you're doing, man. Keep on rocking. Yeah. But hey, for everybody out there, you know, for, for all of our industry, it's like, yeah, really, like, we're going to get through this together. And Absolutely. you should know that. Absolutely. And, yeah. Stress equals change equals growth. Love it, man. Love it. Be good, man. I'll uh, I'll talk to you soon. Stay well. Stay safe. Say hi to that. Keep on rocking. Yeah. Go right.